Please take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 3, if you would, please. Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, I just want to say happy anniversary publicly to my wife, my bride of 41 years. And we uh, have uh, been together, I guess, four years before that. That's when we first started getting interested in each other. Nowadays, we call it courting and we call it... uh, I forget now what all the terminology is, but uh, we've, uh, we've been together a long time, praise the Lord, and it's been good. You know, I, I, Jay's birthday is on August the 31st, uh, Michael's birthday was uh, on the 6th, uh, that's today, in Thailand, we were all, as a family, sending him greetings because they're 12 hours ahead, and um, Matt's birthday is tomorrow, our anniversary is tomorrow. Uh, Brenda's birthday is the 23rd. Nathan's birthday is the 26th. So uh, I'm broke in September. (laughs) And so, um, but uh, one thing too that I'm really uh, happy about is on September the 9th, uh, 1972, some 48 years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And so my life has never been the same. And so praise the Lord for his goodness to us. Uh, personally, as well as family, and uh, as well as for the church family. I appreciate your prayers. Amen? Amen. Uh, I have entitled the message this morning, God's Work is Work. Now, I was just talking to Johnny Waldner earlier, and I said, Johnny, have you taken a holiday yet? And uh, I've been after him because he's been working on the job site, of course, through Iron Man and and, uh, you know, he's just, he just works and works and works. And then he let me know he may be going fishing this week. So I said, that's great. Uh, it's good to go fishing instead of just a wishing. And uh, yet at the same time, when you think of God's work, many times we don't think of God's work as being work. We think it's something that we just attend, we do. But I know that if we are going to be fulfilling the Great Commission as a church and as individual Christians, it's going to take some work. And there are some things that we don't like addressing when it comes to work simply because who wants to talk about work? This is the weekend. Uh, This is the Lord's day. And yet we find when Jesus was alive uh, for some 33 and a half years, the public ministry of three and a half years, uh, he worked. And if you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you notice the fact that he was busy about the Father's business. I'd like to read Nehemiah chapter 3 not all 32 verses. <clears throat> I do encourage you as we preach through these books that whenever I have to stop just because of the interest of time and so on, that you go ahead and read these portions of scripture because uh, number one, it's the word of God and it is profitable. And so we learn from all aspects of the scripture and Israel, uh, the church does not replace Israel because we know that he's just set Israel aside for a time. But at the same time, there are some truths we can gather for the church of Jesus Christ from passages of scripture like this that will help us uh, do what God wants us to do. And we can learn some principles. We can learn some truths that will help us as we encounter certain situations. Now, we're right in the middle as a church in a building program, and it's coming right along. In fact, uh, the taping and mudding is being done now, and it won't be long before the, uh, the painting gets done, and then comes the ceiling. Just, uh, the office area is coming along. You look outside, 
and that's coming along as well. We're going to be seeing some more things take place there this next week. And so these are exciting days. But building programs, physically speaking, is just one aspect of God's work. So when we think of work, a lot of times we're talking that way. But even in the spiritual realm, you'll find that as you do service for the Lord, there is an energy that is expended in serving God. In fact, you remember, I think it's in Luke chapter 8, there was the woman who had the issue of blood. She'd been to all kinds of doctors, and the Bible says spent all of her living trying to find the cure. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I can be made whole. So she reaches through the crowd, touches the hem of his garment, and the Bible says that virtue went out of Jesus Christ. If you look up the word virtue, it talks about power. It's not being spooky. He's just saying there is an energy that you expend as you serve the Lord. Sometimes it's not a matter of doing the physical labor. It's just the energy you expend spiritually because of even the unseen that we don't always recognize being that spiritual conflict we're in because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this world, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. When you are involved in God's work, you may find yourself more tired than if you worked all day long, physically. And so I'm not trying to say that you know, you're not working or anything like that, but what I am saying is I'm trying to bring a reality to our service for the Lord. And when we look at this passage of scripture, I want us to think about that as we think of the rebuilding physically of the walls, the reestablishment of the gates of the city of Jerusalem, and look at it, not just in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. Let's read the first five verses of scripture of Nehemiah chapter three. The Bible here says, then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And next to them builded Zachar, the son of Emery. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassanah build, who also laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana. And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. If you'll drop down to verse 27, just want to tie verse 5 with verse 27. Because we see verse 5 where the nobles did not put their necks to the work. But the Tekoites, the families there that make up the Tekoites, they said we're going to build anyway. And then we find that they even took on a double responsibility in verse 27. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out, even into the wall of Ophel. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 1854, Annie Coghill wrote the poem entitled, Work for the Night is Coming. She was an English girl, but spent a lot of time here in Canada. And while she was here in Canada... She was reading from John chapter four, or chapter nine, verse four, 
these words, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So she sat down and wrote out the poem, work for the night is coming. Here are the lyrics, work for the night is coming, work through the morning hours, work while the dew is sparkling, work mid springing flowers, work when the day grows brighter, work in the glowing sun, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. Work for the night is coming, work through the sunny noon, fill brightest hours with labor, rest comes sure and soon. Give every flying minute something to keep in store. Work for the night is coming when man works no more. Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. While their bright tents are glowing, work for daylight flies. Work till the last beam fadeth, fadeth to shine no more. Work while the night is darkening when man's work is o'er. Sometimes we think, as far as work is concerned, we think of it only in the context of our careers. We think, well, okay, I'll work time 65 or 70, or I can start drawing a pension or a retirement plan. But when we think about God's work, we need to understand that it's not over till it's over. In other words, there's not a retirement plan in this life for the believer. Now, I'm not saying that you can't retire from your job, physically speaking. I'm not saying that you can't draw from, your, you know, from a retirement fund and so on. But well, you never cease being a Christian. You never cease having the great commission that lies before us. And so there's no retirement program. But yet, in light of the scripture, it says, this is daylight for us. This is the only time we have. And so we've got to work. We've got to do what we're supposed to do now because there's going to come a time where the lights will go out and we will not have an opportunity to work anymore. In James chapter four and verse 14, the scripture says these words, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And of course, the older you get, you recognize how much more precious time is. I've said many times that I have more uh, behind me days than I do in front of me. In other words, there's just going to come just by pure chronology wise, a time where my day will cease to be. And the same goes for every single one of us. And so in essence, what we do for Christ we must be busy doing it now because we never know when that time's going to come because our life is like a vapor. And so if you look at the book of Acts, and I'll just read this portion real quick, like from Acts chapter one, I'll read here in verse six. And this, of course, is talking about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, you know from studying the scriptures that when the disciples were with Jesus, they were anticipating Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom. That's why you have the triumphal entry. When they was, he was coming into Jerusalem, they, and they were throwing out the palm branches, and he was riding on the donkey and, and all that, and they were shouting hallelujah, and, 
and uh, you know, just, just really looking forward to the time that he would sit now on the throne of David there in the city of Jerusalem. But his time was not yet. It's coming, but it wasn't right now. And so that's why they're asking at this time since he's died, he's been raised from the dead. And now they're saying, hey, are you going to set up the kingdom now? And he said unto them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then you find that that's when you get really into the book of Acts, which we call the action book or the history book of the New Testament church. In other words, they went to work. The Holy Spirit of God came and filled them, Acts chapter 2, and from there on you just see them doing work after work after work after work. And these angels had said something to the disciples because there's that tendency at times just to gaze, just to float through life, so to speak, just to take, take it all in and not really realize we have a job to do. And so we see here where these disciples said, hey, we better get with the program. We better remember what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. They went there, they were filled. Right away, Peter gets up, he preaches a message, 3,000 people get saved, they get baptized, they join the church, and then they begin to be taught the word of God and they continue on spreading the gospel and planting churches around the then known world until we get to 2020 and we find local New Testament churches still in existence that carries on the same doctrinal foundational truths that Jesus Christ taught from his word. And so we only have though so much time in a day. The night cometh when no man can work. In Nehemiah chapter three, I've really just got two main points uh, that I want to refer to. Number one, we see the assignments and that takes in really the entire chapter. All 32 verses, we just see the way that Nehemiah organized the rebuilding program. And then I have the apathetic nobles I mentioned here in verse five. So those are the two uh, points of the outline, the assignments and the apathetic nobles, if you're taking uh, notes. But before looking at the various gates along with the walls being rebuilt, let's notice some important truths, I think, that will help us as we think of God's work and our place in it. And as you read this, and I just read just a small portion in these first five verses of scripture, every family group worked at the main project. Did you see that? Look at verse one. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. 
They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And on and on and on it goes, where you have certain family segments and people that are rebuilding the city walls and the uh, city gates. Now, it was interesting as I was reading this portion of scripture, the vocations or the kind of skills that these people had, the work that they were involved in uh, before they started this building program. And you check me out on this, but you'll find here in verse one, we see where there were priests that worked. Now, it didn't say they were builders. They were priests, but they went to do the work. We also see that politicians Uh, They were part of the work. Goldsmiths, pharmacists, farmers, soldiers, merchants. They were all part of the building program. You'll see here that every family had their part. And is that not what we see ought to be taking place in the church of Jesus Christ? It's not a matter of the church having a bunch of professionals that know about the ministry. It's the matter of saying, hey, there's a work to be done. There's a job to do for the cause of Christ. And we're going to put our necks to the work regardless of who we are, regardless of our status, regardless of our career choice, regardless of the size of family we have, regardless of our money, regardless of our skill level. We're just going to get involved and we're going to get the job done. And it took everyone doing their part. And that's what we find Uh, Last year when we went through the gifts mentioned in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, we talked about the gifts that everyone receives at salvation. We're not talking about talents. We're talking about when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it says that God gave you a gift or gifts, and it's his choice what gifts he gives. And then he puts us into the church, the body, severally as he will so that we can exercise that and become more effective in getting the gospel out. And that's what it talks about in Ephesians chapter four, where every joint supplieth. In other words, working in the unity of the faith. And so it's interesting to me when you look at this portion of scripture here with Nehemiah, this was a massive project. And so there's no way you would think that you would turn it over to just a bunch of lay people who they had other interests and other skill sets, but Nehemiah said, look, God's called us for this task. We can get the job done. Jesus Christ is never gonna ask us to do something that's impossible for us to do. I was listening to the new Canamera presentation uh, just last night when I got in from the, uh, the college activity. And uh, I think Nico and and Brother Jake are working on this. And as I was listening to that, Jake mentioned in there a statistic that said that right now there's approximately 7.8 billion people on the face of the earth. And so you look at that stat and you say, how in the world can we, who are so few, reach everyone? But I'm reminded of the little boy with a lunch five loaves and two small fishes. And the disciples came and said, you know, when he says, sit them all down and let's feed the multitudes. And the disciples says, well, what are these among so many? 
these five loaves and two small fishes. But you know, when Jesus got involved, he prayed, he blessed it, and then he began to distribute. And not only did they have enough, they took up more than enough. And so we can do what God wants us to do. And we can't look at the circumstance and say, this is impossible. Because Jesus had to tell his disciples on several occasions, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's the truth of Acts chapter one, verse eight, that we shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. And then he covers all aspects of the world unto the uttermost. So we can look at it through our eyes and say, no way. But God says, there is a way, get to work. For the night cometh when no man can work. So I see that every family group worked at the main project. Number two, I see this. There were no professional builders, yet they rebuilt the walls. They did the job and they did it in record time, as we'll see as we move through this book. It took them 51 days. Now, some of you have been to the Holy Land and some of you get worn out as you're walking along those cobblestone roads and those walkways. And as we try to keep up with our tour guide, how many times did we want to take a break? I mean, that's a massive city. And yet we find in 51 days, these people got together and they got the job done. And so it, it, Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, verse 19 to these fishermen, Peter, James, and John on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, I mean, these are fishermen. In the book of Acts chapter five, it says that people took knowledge of them, that they were what? Unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. And so they weren't schooled. They didn't know all there was to know, but at the same time, they spent time with Jesus and they got the job done. These that have turned the world upside down, the scripture says, are come hither also. So just a handful of people. I say this, what would happen if just those of us who are sitting here, those of us who are watching by live stream, if we would get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, if we would believe God and step out by faith and work because we know nighttime's coming and we can't work anymore, I wonder what could be accomplished for the cause of Christ. And I always say this, we may not be able to do it all, but we ought to do all that we can. And so there's something that we need to keep foremost in our minds. It's not kicking back and relax time. It's time to move forward for the cause of Christ. It's not about us. It's not about the Baptist church. Hey, it's, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the hope of the world. We've received that hope. And we have that hope that beats within us. And the whole world needs to have that same hope. Amen. So Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as we follow the Lord, it's a wonderful work that he will do in and through us as a church and as an individual. I also see this number three. Not everyone will get involved. Verse five, we see that clearly here. It says, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Now this is interesting. In the work of the Lord, sometimes when you get into the nitty gritty of things, if we're not careful, we will only look at the human instruments that God is using. 
In other words, these men could have looked and said, I'm not going to follow Nehemiah. Who does he think he is? He's trying to tell us what to do. Why do I have to build on this portion of the wall? I want to build over here. And yet Nehemiah says, no, this is the part that you have to do. And so you need to do it. And it's interesting that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord says this, that the nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. He's talking about the God of heaven. He's not talking about the Lord of their family. He's not talking about the Lord of the project, which would be Nehemiah, because he's not a Lord. He's a layman just like everyone else. But you see, there's a job to be done for the cause of Christ, and it's all about Christ. So in other words, when we're doing ministry like VBS or uh, Master Club or we uh, have the college and we have the choir and things of that nature, it's not about who's in charge, humanly speaking. We do it as the New Testament says in the book of Colossians chapter 3, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. We ought to do everything we do as unto the Lord. And so these nobles, even though they weren't really working to rebuild anything and they were letting others in the family take care of that, they said, well, I just don't think we're going we're, we're gonna to do this. I don't know if it was, they felt like it was beneath them or what it was. But we have to be careful of that here in North America, here in our church, that we don't have that same kind of idea. Well, you know, we'll just let somebody else take care of that. No, it's all of us working together. I mean, what an indictment. How would you like to know that you were a noble of the Kohites and now you're in eternity? He's led captivity captive. The Old Testament saints are there. <laughs> and, and you were one of those that said, I'm not going to do this for the Lord. I'm just going to do my own thing. That's beneath me. And that would be a terrible position to be in, but that's where some of them are today. But that doesn't mean that we have to be there. Amen. So this is a lesson, as it says in 2 Corinthians, these things were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. In other words, God said, you know, I want this here in Nehemiah to, to, to be here so that uh, those in 2020 can, they can look at this and they can be preaching and reading through this book and they can see, hey, this is not where they want to be. You don't want to be a noble like the Tekoites. You want to be one who's involved in the work of God. You know, I'm reminded of John chapter 21 and verse 22, where, of course, Jesus has come to Peter and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says it was grieved because the Lord kept asking him, do you love me? And then feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then you notice Peter to take the heat off of himself he sees John the Beloved over to the side and he says, but Jesus, what's, the, what's this man going to do? And isn't that how we are? Many times we, we go, well, you're asking me to do this or, boy, I, you know, I see that this needs to be done, but if I do, what's this guy doing? He's not doing anything. Why don't you ask him to do it? He could probably do a better job and I'm busy as it is. Which of us would have to say we're not busy. All of us are busy doing something. But yet you see here, what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, if I will that he tarry till I come. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, if I just want John to sit there, if, I, if that's what I want him to do, he said, that's okay. What is that to thee? <clears throat> what does that mean for you? He says, follow thou me. He says, you follow me. You do what you're supposed to do. You know, that'd solve a lot of problems. That'd solve a lot of problems on your job place. You know, if you would just do what you're supposed to do and quit worrying about what everybody else is doing or not doing, boy, then a lot of stuff may get done on the job. A lot of stuff may get done in society. I remember VBS, we just had it this past month. And uh, one thing I always do in the workers meeting before the first night takes place, I would say, you know, we all have our areas of responsibility. I said, it's so important for us to fulfill our given role. And, you know, in the work of God, as in anything, you know, the ball may get dropped. Somebody may slip up and not fulfill their responsibility or something else may happen that we haven't really even planned on. Maybe something just presents itself and we say, oh, I didn't think about that or I forgot to take care of that. So on and the ball gets dropped. What are we to do when that happens? We're not to sit there and say, "Uh oh, the ball's dropped. I'll look at it. It's bouncing down. The, uh, uh, yeah, it, the ball's dropped. Boy, who in the world let that ball drop? <clears throat> That's not the point. The point is the ball's dropped. Somebody needs to pick it up. Go ahead and pick it up. We'll worry about all the details later, but we need to pick up the ball right now and get the job done. Why? Because the night's coming when no man can work. There's no sense right in the middle of VBS saying, oh, the ball's dropped. I guess we can't go forward. No, pick up the ball. Let's get it done. We'll worry about all those details later. Amen. Amen. Oh my, so many lessons. In this chapter, we really see the art of delegation. Excuse me. I want us to look at some of the uh, gates that are mentioned here as we uh, uh, draw things to a close in the message. We have the sheep gate that's mentioned in verses one and two, and you notice the priests are the ones that are rebuilding that particular part of the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Now the sheep gate was where obviously the sheep would be brought in. It was close to the temple. That's where the sacrifices would take place. So it's natural that since the priests had a vested interest in that particular area, that they would be given that job to do. I mean, if you're building on your house, you'll probably spend a little bit more careful time on how that's done than you would on somebody else's. And so here these priests have to work around this area, so they're going to do a good job. We also see here the fish gate. And this fish market obviously was close by. And here's where I mentioned about the nobles again. I said that the nobles may have thought that the work was below their dignity, And man must remember that we are made to serve, which means we are made to work. Even in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, it says that God placed man in the garden to dress it and to keep it. That means that they were to take care of it. In other words, in in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels It also mentions the fact that he took on the form of a servant made in the likeness of men. Okay, and so he took on, we are servants. We are made to work. And may I remind you that Genesis chapter 2 is before Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter three is the account when sin came in. Now, sin became an effort, uh, excuse me, work became an effort for us, more so by the sweat of our brow, the Bible says, we'll earn our living. But by the same token, beforehand, we were still made to work. Work has always been a part of man's economy. We are fulfilled as we work. Amen? And that's Bible. And that's why part of the sin problem is, is we're always trying to get out of work. We're always trying to get out of work, aren't we? You can be quiet on that one, I guess. But you know, I find it interesting here, as I mentioned, that the Tekoites, even though their nobles didn't put their necks to the work, we find that they said, hey, we'll not only do this portion of the wall, we'll do this over here too. Wow, they went that extra mile. Then you have the old gate, verses 6 to 12. You have the valley gate. Now, the valley gate in verse 13 is the gate what we read about in chapter uh, 2 when Nehemiah went to survey the city of Jerusalem. He went through this particular valley gate. And then we have the dung gate. Now, you know what dung is. Uh, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But by, you know, much strength, uh, you know, the work gets done. In other words, you need the livestock, a farming community there, and they needed the livestock to work the field. We've got tractors nowadays, but uh, given here in the context, we see here where, hey, it creates a lot of trash. It creates dung, refuse. And this dung gate was a gate that all the garbage of the city would pass through. They would be taking it out of the city. Can you imagine Nehemiah coming up to this particular gate and saying, I want you guys to work here. I mean, we'd say, oh no, give that to them. We want another portion of the gate. You see, it's amazing how these people just went and they did the job. You see, all the work is needed. And there are certain aspects of God's work that I have to say is unpleasant. Everybody likes praise. Who likes rebuke? And yet we find in the word of God that it's given to what? Doctrine, to reprove, to correct us. You see, it's given to uh, help us. And so sometimes we need the pat on the back and sometimes we need a good swift kick. And the word of God does that. And to get the work of God done here in this period of time, sometimes we need the same in our lives. But I thought it was important that not every task is pleasant in God's work, but it has to be done. And if this city was going to be rebuilt, somebody had to take care of the dung gate. And thank God that there was some men there that said, let's get that job done. We may not like it. It may not be pleasant. It may be hard. It may stink, but we're going to get it done. And they got it done. Then there's the fountain gate. And this was one of the fresh Uh, There were two fresh uh, water sources for the city of Jerusalem. And so it's interesting when you read this in verses 15 and 16, how that they spent special time just really protecting the purity of the water system there. And if you've been to Israel there in the city of Jerusalem, you have the Gion Springs as well, which is the second uh, source of fresh water. And Solomon was anointed king there at the Gion Springs and that's by the water, uh, the water gate in verses uh, 17 to 27. You have the walls by the horse gate and the walls by the eastern gate. 
And this one was near the uh, temple, of course, just inside the eastern gate over there. You remember the song that's sung and so on. And if you go to Jerusalem now and you stand there uh, on the mount across where where the uh, Garden of Gethsemane is, and you can actually look into the city and you see the, 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 the dome and then you see the eastern gate that's all bricked over. And they actually have tombstones of graves in front of it. That is not going to hinder Jesus one bit. And so we look forward to that eastern gate. Amen. And so then you have number two, the apathetic nobles that I've talked about. Apathetic means this. Having or showing little to no emotion. It means not interested or concerned. Indifferent or unresponsive. In other words, you don't want to be <laughs> apathetic. You don't want to be like these Tekoite nobles. Just real quick, like, let me just say this. In God's work, you will meet freeloaders. And I'm not going to slam those freeloaders in the message this morning. I'll let you do that. All I say here in my notes, don't be one. Just make sure you're not one. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't be a freeloader. I heard this saying one time, and I tried to find out. I've heard it many times. I tried to find out who originated this, and I, I can't find it. But it's God's business is the greatest business in all the world. Because his business goes for all eternity. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And then lastly, do all to the glory of God. That'd sure help us, wouldn't it? If we just set out to do all to the glory of God. Why don't we as believers unite together to get the job done? Because the night comes when no man can work. Jesus Christ could come at any time in what we refer to as the rapture, the catching away of the saints in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And after that, it's over. So what we must do, we must do now. Let's do it. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. We have a world to reach for Christ. We may not be able to do it all, but we ought to do all that we can. And I praise the Lord, and I mean this sincerely, that we have a good nucleus of people that have a desire to see our world reached. They give of their time, they give of their talent. And they give of their resources to do what they can to further God's work. And I'm sure God's pleased. I made mention of the fact to not be a freeloader. And it's not up to me to gauge or measure whether you are or not. That's something that you have to be able to answer as you talk to God. That's why we have an invitation time. It's to apply the truth that you just heard. 
And so it's not a matter of doing something for the preacher. It's a matter of being able to say, you know, before God, where am I in fulfilling his plan? Am I part of the Tekoites? Or am I just giving what I can to the glory of God to get the work done?